This presentation is from Managing Design 2016, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. You right to go? I'm right to go. He's right to go. So this is Cam. He works at Seek. Um, and I really like... So we, got, we take proposals for our talks, and when I saw this, I really liked the... Um, the approach of like really thinking about each other and caring about each other and what that brings to a team. And that's why we said that would be excellent to have. So thank you very much. Thank you. Um, so a couple of quick housekeeping things. I'll flip through my slides really quickly. So if you want to take photos, um, do it really quickly because otherwise <laughs> I'll just move on. Um, uh, when I wanted to uh, decide on a topic for this presentation, I actually asked my team first um, what they thought they wanted me to present on. Um, and this topic wasn't something I actually had in my short list of things I, I wanted to talk about. Um, but it came up again and again in the responses that I got. So, and this, this title was actually um, uh, suggested to me by somebody in the team. Um, the embarrassing part about it is that this comes um, about because I made a fundamental mistake in my leadership with the team a couple of years ago. Um, so the, the reason it came up was my team member said to me, we were in a bad place about 18 months ago, two years ago, and we're not anymore. What did you do that moved us from point A to point B? So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, first of all, Donna kind of mentioned me. Um, my Twitter thing's there. If you want to ask any questions, um, feel free to put them up there and I'll get to you at some stage, hopefully. Um, so I, I, I currently lead the UX team at Seek. Um, previously uh, to that, I was leading teams at Telstra for a number of years. I've been in UX leadership roles now for about eight or nine years. Um, so if you kind of think about um, yourselves and your journeys, um, leadership is, is relatively new and, and you know, we've all been kind of learning together. Um, and looking around the room, I think just at a glance, there's probably about 10% of people in the room who have worked with me at some stage. Um, so hopefully a lot of the, uh, the things you hear today are, are things that we've spoken about in the past. Um, this would have been much funnier if Shane was here today. Um, but um, by way of credentials, um, you know, Shane Morris was lovely enough to, uh, to put this on Twitter just recently. Um, of course, I've taken it a little bit out of context, um, but I thought it was a, a nice way to introduce, uh, introduce us today. Uh, the obligatory Seek slide. Um, so really quickly, most of you know Seek, and you know of Seek as a jobs board. Um, what we're trying to do is, is move the conversation a lot, and um, our strategy and our roadmap is all built about... Um, trying to help people live more productive lives, helping organisations to, um, to be more productive and to um, succeed as well. Um, so I've done that now. Um, so today, uh, today is about starting a conversation. Um, for me, uh, I'm going to talk about a few of the, as I say, the mistakes that I've made. I'm going to talk about some of the, the things that we did to change the way that our team culture was perceived. Um, by no means are these going to be things that um, are going to work for everybody. Um, and, you know, they're... they're Quite likely I'll be up here again in a couple of years telling you about the mistakes that we made when we were doing this and, and why we've had to change them again. Um, but if you'll indulge me for a moment, I'm going to talk just really quickly about design and leadership. I think um, design and leadership is a, is a really interesting emerging um, kind of topic. Um, the threads of conversation that we've heard today have, have been very, very similar and the conversations I've had with people um, out in the tea room and last night over, over um, drinks and over, over dinner were very, very similar. So we're all facing very similar types of challenges. Um, so I'll talk really briefly about design and leadership. I want to talk about um, UX and design at Seek and where we were at, what the challenges were that we were facing, how they came about, and then what we did to change the, uh, the culture of the team. 
So really, really quickly talking about design and leadership, as I say, I think it's a really important space. Um, we've heard a lot today, I, I jotted down some of the words, but in the presentations today we've heard people saying that they've been growing from teams of four to teams of six, growing from, was it six to 106? Um, growing, 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 growing. As a discipline, we're growing. We've heard about getting seats at the table and those sort of things. Um, these are some of the people that I, I'm finding fascinating following at the moment. These are, I, I don't know how many of you follow these, I'm presuming you all do. Um, Kim Goodwin was starting these conversations um, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. Um, Peter Merholtz is writing a book about this right now. Um, Julie Jo, um, as Alistair kind of referenced, is, just, is talking at a really granular level about some of the, the, the gritty challenges of being a design leader. And um, Chris Avore is writing a, a book on design leadership as well. So some, some really interesting things starting to happen right at this moment in time. And you can also throw in um, John Mader, um, uh, Jared Spool, um, Cap Watkins. These people are really starting to, to move the conversation forward. But I think this is the, one of the interesting things for me. Um, this quote here from Jared, and I use this in just about every presentation I give now, and, and there's, a, there's a reason for that, and that is we, um, we were alluding before to the pathways um, for design leaders. Most of us have come up as designers, but more and more as we're getting into these senior leadership roles, we're realising that all of the, the skills and the tools and the techniques and things that we use that got us into the position to be able to move sideways into a leadership role, they may hold us in somewhat good stead, but they're not enough to allow us to continue to improve and grow. Um, design leadership is becoming much more about leadership than it is about design. Um, so uh, this was an exercise we did as a, as a um, leadership team at Seek not that long ago. Um, it was, a, it, it was the, the starting of a session, and essentially we were just asked to throw up a whole bunch of words that described what we thought was a good leader. Um, I pulled a few out. You can see, I don't know if you can actually see on the whiteboard, um, you know, motivating, visionary, um, fun, um, lovable, um, courageous, flexible. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that people expect to have in their, um, in their leaders. Now, one of, the, one of the interesting things about the, uh, this is not one person can ever attain all of these, um, all of these ideals. So leadership for different people is going to mean different, different things. And then Peter um, takes it a, a level further and he talks about what it means to be a design leader. So um, to be a design leader, you need to be a brilliant visionary. You need to be strategic, um, strategically oriented. You need to be um, inspiring. You need to be um, considerate to the, to, the, um, to the team. You need to be a teacher. You need to be a dogged recruiter at all times. And you need to be an organisational operator. And again, if you slice and dice this, there are very, very few people around, maybe Jurgen. But there are very, very few people around who can actually tick all of these boxes. Um, so being a good leader, being a good design leader is an amazing challenge. Um, which is why, and I don't know whether Donna and Steve are still here, but um, it's, worth, yeah, it's worth saying thank you for organising this because I think it's a, it's a really interesting space. <laughs> now the reason I'm pausing here is... I've, I've, this, is, this is kind of key to, to where I want to go with the rest of this presentation, but it's also interesting because I think um, Alison mentioned something very, very similar um, earlier on. Um, so one of the interesting things about being a design leader is you can, you can break the, the leadership aspects down into different chunks. Um, Kim Goodwin talks about practice leadership versus um, change leadership. So practice lead, leadership being the, the, um, the team itself, your design craft. Um, Alison, you talked about craft and, um, and process and another P word that I can't read because my writing's too bad. Um, but look, looking at the, the team and then the outwards part as well, um, and Cap Watkins uses this phrase about leading inwards and leading outwards. Um, but again, the conversation is all about how do you make sure that you're managing and nurturing your design team 
but also managing and nurturing the organization and the way it grows. Actually, I should, before I move on, I should also say one of the interesting things as you, you kind of step into these leadership roles, and, and people use the phrases like um, uh, managing up, managing down, managing sideways, which I, I hate those phrases. Um, but one of the things as you step into these leadership roles is people tend to really focus on how are you managing sideways, how are you managing up, what are you doing with those, with those kind of key stakeholder groups, how are you expanding your influence, how are you creating space for design, I think Naomi said. Um, those are the things that people tend to focus on. The team side of things, quite often, no, we don't talk about enough. Uh, okay, so that was my indulgence around design leadership. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk now about a little bit about Seek and, and, and the topic of this, um, this presentation. So um, a long time ago now, which was about three years ago, I think, um, I joined Seek. And at the time, um, we were leading jobs board. We had, we had a, a nice strategy in place, which is the reason why I, I joined. I could see the roadmap and the strategy, but we hadn't really started to execute it yet. Um, so this is roughly the design team. I've kind of anonymized it a little bit because there's a few people in the room that may have been involved. Um, but essentially, we had a designer who looked after our mobile apps. We were, I think, in the process of doing an iPad app at that stage. Uh, we had a designer who looked after our hiring products. We had a designer who looked after our candidate products. We had one person doing user research, and we had one visual designer. I think two of these five maybe were contractors. Um, but the team was kind of working quite, ni quite nicely together. We were, they were, they were kind of moving along well. Um, and part of the reason was that there were some really clear boundaries between each of those areas. So if you think about the way that that structure was set up, the candidate design, the designer really didn't need to talk to the advertiser all that much, apart from having you know, maybe lunch once every now and then, talking about you know, how hard it is working with product managers, those sort of things. Um, but there, there, was, there was no real need to kind of cross any boundaries. Um, if all the decision-making rights were in one place, it didn't really need to collaborate very much. Um, there was, there was you know, a very, very easy stakeholder engagement because you had one, uh, one set of stakeholders, and there was little impetus really to share any of the design work. So it was very easy, very easy to establish mastery and to have a sense of self. So the app guy was the iOS expert. The person looking after hire product design understood everything about our hirers and understood what we were trying to achieve and, and was able to design solutions to meet those needs. Our visual designer had, had his theory on visual um, design and was able to kind of push it across the entire organization because there wasn't really much, um, much resistance or much stakeholder uh, selling needed. Um, so in hindsight, you can kind of see there were some warning signs um, there and there are even more, which I haven't written in the slide, but. Um, you know, I could see that people were reluctant to share their design work. Then when they did, they were defensive. I could see that there had been a culture where people were revealing their work too late. And as a result, when design feedback sessions were happening, it was more about criticism, criticism rather than critique. And of course, as soon as that type of culture starts to evolve, people become more reluctant to share their work. Criticism becomes even harsher. It comes even later in the process. You end up in this really kind of strange spiral. So that was kind of where we were at. Things on the surface looked like they were working really well, but there was some stuff underneath that we needed to, needed to address. And as it came to, and the reason it came to light was because our product roadmap grew really rapidly. We could see where we wanted to go. We could see that it was going to take us about six years, and we decided that we wanted to accelerate the timeframes. So we hired. There's another con uh, consistent theme that we've heard from just about everyone today is about hiring and about growing the team. And we did it really fast. So we went out into the marketplace, we changed the, the conversation, and we started to hire people. So we went from a structure kind of loosely like this, 
and we started to hire, and we started to hire, and we started to hire. Um, I had another version of this slide where all the circles kind of crossed over. This is obviously much simpler. Um, but you can start to see, given the story that I'm telling, um, what, what started to occur next. So we had a culture where people weren't collaborating, where they were the, uh, where they were the masters, where they owned a, a specific domain. Um, I kind of used the, the, vertic uh, the, the vertical slice versus the horizontal slice. So people had full control of the horizontal slice in the past, but now we had to slice it into verticals to try to accelerate the roadmap. So instead of owning an entire candidate journey or an entire hire journey, our designers were owning pieces of the journey, and they needed to work out how to stitch those together seamlessly. Um, I wish I'd seen this before I started hiring at the pace that we were. Um, so Sarah Doody is a, a, a UX designer uh, um, from uh, Canada. Uh, I think she's working in the US at the moment. Um, and this was something she put out on Twitter just recently, which just kind of stuck in my mind because I was obviously right in the middle of writing this presentation. Um, but it was just kind of a nice reminder that you need to very, very carefully consider the way that you um, design and scale your team. So I think this was, this was our challenge. We'd gone from a, a kind of series of really good, passionate, fantastic design geniuses to needing to be a team of designers that really work together in a collaborative fashion. The yeah, unfortunate part was, because it took us a little while to, to start to move the needle, our um, product uh, org structure started to show up in our product set. Um, and obviously, we need to do something rather quickly to fix that. So um, one of the, the agile coaches at SIG uses the phrase, moving from I to we. Um, and I think any, if anyone's going to last or one of those conferences, I think she's presenting something similar on this. But this concept of moving from a mindset of me to we and I've put the we in the we here because I think um, you know, there's, there's some uh, challenges in being part of many teams. So I'm going to focus on being a design team. But of course, a design team is also part of a product team. Uh, a, an individual designer is also part of a project team. Designers within the design team are part of other teams as well. Um, we won't kind of get into that meta component yet. Um, so this is kind of the, the, the place we were in. So, um, so I don't know how many of you know David. Um, this was a, a quote that I pulled out of an article that he wrote um, not that long ago. So David's a um, UX designer in Melbourne. Um, so the point of what he's, what he's saying here is you need to create that team unity to make sure that you have enough respect for each other to ensure that the decisions you're making are leading to great outcomes for the customers. And of course, what I, I mentioned before around criticism rather than critique was a, a, a core component of this. Um, so Project Aristotle was something I've, I only just stumbled on recently, but I, I find it fascinating because it crossed, um, crossed right back into everything we're trying to achieve. So Google, very um, in the last uh, little while, were looking at what makes a successful team, and they did a whole bunch of research. They could see some really high-performing teams in their organisation. They wanted to see if they could kind of boil it down to its key ingredients. And they came up with five key things. I, I won't go into this in a lot of detail. I, I can give you the reference later on. But um, the five key things were psychological safety, dependability, Structure and clarity, meaning and impact. Um, but by far and away, psychological safety was the, the prime indicator of whether or not a team was going to be successful. So this concept of psychological safety is about building an environment in which people feel safe to have the conversations they need to actually move their design work forward, or any work forward, but in, the, in this instance, design. So it's trying to create a culture where people have the trust that they can speak their mind that they're going to do it in, that, they, that the response is going to be made in the right way, that they have the tools and the techniques available to both introduce their work, but also respond to the feedback and also give the feedback. 
And this is the this is the um, this is the key for us is trying to get back into this um, this space in time. Um, Mike Davidson, who was the vice president of Twitter, is also talking about this. But he he talks about uh, talks about it as a mathematical equation. Um, so his point is that if you look around the the room at people that you're working with, intelligence is not in short supply. You, you generally are working with some bloody smart people. So if you're working with really smart people and rubbing shoulder to shoulder with smart people, what's the missing ingredient in getting great results? It's, it's collaboration. So I've got a matrix. For those of you who are playing UX Australia bingo, I've got a unicorn later as well. Um, so this, this, um, this matrix here is, is kind of the, uh, the, the matrix around psychological safety. So if you can see, you can see roughly where we're at. Originally as a team, um, when we had about five designers, we're probably, to be honest, in the apathy zone. There wasn't much psychological safety, but it didn't really matter. There wasn't much performance pressure. A couple of projects ticking along, moving along rather slowly. And then when, as we started to grow the size of the team we, and we started to accelerate the roadmap, we moved from the apathy, apathy zone into the anxiety zone. That slide will come back in a second, just if anyone was still taking photos. Um, so in the anxiety zone, you have few people offering up critique uh, or new ideas. You have, um, you have a few people asking directly for help on their design work. There's perceived pressure, uh, perceived pressure to be the genius, to know everything, um, to, to be the one person who has all the knowledge around the design and the customer and what's going to happen. The pace of design work and development slows down because people are more reluctant to share their work. And as they become more reluctant, they put off having those tough conversations. Again, a theme from earlier on somewhere. Um, they put off those tough conversations and they avoid sharing their work with other people. So you end up with this, this vicious cycle that occurs where everything's slowed down, the feedback actually gets shorter and sharper and more blunt, and criticism becomes rife. So I told you I'd bring the, the matrix back. So what we wanted to do is move up into that, into that learning zone. We obviously were in a fast-paced performance pressure environment, so we had that bit done, check. And now we needed to move ourselves up the, um, up the psychological safety um, dimension as well. So when you get into the learning zone, this is the kind of behavior that you see. And you can kind of see that this is the type of behavior you want in your design team. So this attitude and this question of, here is what I've done so far. How can I make it better? Highly collaborative um, uh, team that's, that's reaching out by themselves and not waiting necessarily for rituals. Rituals are good, and I'll, I'll get to that later. But not necessarily waiting for rituals to occur, to, for collaboration to occur. They actually have a mindset of learning from each other. So the most senior designer in the team will walk up to the most junior designer and say, this is what I've done, this is why I've done it, how can I make it better? So they actually want to learn from people and um, from the diversity and the thinking of other designers in the team. Seeking critique. And I guess each, each of these critiquing conversations becoming a, a coaching and mentoring opportunity as well. So yeah, so we needed to reform the team to, to create this, um, this sense of psychological safety. So I'm going to walk through just a, a couple of the things that we did, again, um, being very deliberate about the process that we went through to try to reform a team of 15 designers who had kind of got themselves into a bad place. Um, so the first, the first step in, the, um, in this process was literally just about getting the team communicating again at a social level. Um, so the, the research was all saying that social communication is one of the, um, the, the primary indicators um, of trust within a team, and of course, trust um, facilitates effective knowledge sharing, which is obviously the doorway that we were trying to open. So this is where I get to show some of my um, slideshows. This is a bit like Friday night, Cameron's house. Um, 
So we're looking at deliberate opportunities for, for social communication to occur. Um, you can see here a couple of my designers. We were at an art gallery, um, the Screaming Hand exhibition happened to be on around the corner. What's interesting here is you get people into the social situations where they can talk and learn about each other, about each other's um, kind of backgrounds and tendencies. You know, these two were talking about the fact that they both had Screaming Hand skateboards when they were younger, the Santa Cruz brand, what it meant to them. But they were also then looking at critiquing the design work that was on the wall. So I'm getting sneaky here. So the social, the, the social aspect kind of crosses the boundaries into um, some of the skills that we wanted to see people use. Um, we spoke uh, again uh, earlier. We were speaking about having lunches, providing opportunities for people just to get together and talk, to learn about each other, to learn about what makes each other tick, to understand each other a little bit more. So that the, the, uh, the, not the only opportunity to get together is the opportunity to cr um, critique design work, but just to talk in general. It's another art gallery. This one was actually a little bit interesting because there wasn't much social communication. It was a little bit quiet. Um, and dumplings. Like, it's, if you want to talk about social communication, getting together and trying to work out which dumplings you're going to order and how many is just um, one of, the, one of the, the best activities you can do as a team. So that's the first step. Just literally, regimentally working out how to get the team together and talking. Um, the second step, of course, is hiring well. Um, so if you're starting to put some of these frameworks in place, I've talked about the speed of which we were increasing our team size, potentially being a mistake. Um, what we were looking for in all of our new hires over the last 18 months or so has been a, a, a penchant for collaboration. We want people who want to get that feedback. We're looking for keywords and phrases similar to what I've already been going through that reflect that that's where they're at. Um, so this is the philosophy that we've been trying to look at. We're getting people to bring their design work into, um, in, into interviews and into, into sessions with us. And we want to see how they respond, what, they are, what, what type of um, discussions they're generating themselves when they have, come and have conversations with us. And by, by default, it's not just about their willingness to receive feedback on their own work. But it's also about their own philosophy around um, UX and design and the organisations they've worked in. Um, and I told the story last night to a, a couple of the, the people that are here that I was having dinner with around some of the keywords and phrases and the fact that some of the best designers that I know in Melbourne that I know are doing amazing work in their own organisations do so because they've grown up in an organisation that has been a very combative type of um, style and their style is combative as a result and it succeeds in the organisations that they're succeeding in. But coming into our organisation, bringing in the language and that style of work was probably going to take us back to square one. So I've had some amazing designers that I would love to work with at some stage. Um, that we haven't brought into the team, not a knock on them because they're amazing, amazing people and amazing designers. It's just a, a stylistic thing about what's going to work. Um, or as one of my designers um, put it for me, um, we want to be working with people that we want to be working with and that we want to be um, socialising with. Um, so step three, again, something that was mentioned a little bit earlier on, um, design critique is a skill. And so we practised it and made sure that we taught it to new people, we taught the way that we wanted to critique, and we made sure that it became part of our rhythms. Um, we don't use the combative phrasing that we were hearing earlier on, but it's a very regimented um, style now. We give people uh, a similar framework from which to operate, um, and we, we worked across a, different, a couple of different styles of design critique to come up with one that was going to work as a team. Uh, so the 30% feedback, um, 
model that Jason Friedman at 42 Floors um, discussed a couple of years ago has been the one that's really stuck well with us. We've modified it and kind of changed it a little bit. Um, so the 30% uh, the uh, uh, framework is really about under, uh, making sure that you're bringing your design work to the rest of the team and getting critique and feedback when it's 30% complete. And again at 60% and again at 90%. And the 30, 60, 90 framework doesn't necessarily play with time. So you may need to get something done to, uh, delivered tomorrow. You still have the opportunity to get some feedback at 30%, 60%, 90%. You just need to share, kind of spread that over the day. You may have to deliver something in three weeks' time, 30%, 60%, not 90%. And sometimes something goes from 90% back to 60 or 30 because something's changed, and that's fine too. Uh, and then we, we overlay that with a, a couple of key questions. So um, how urgent is the critique? Yes, I need to deliver this tomorrow, so we need to get onto this right now. What are the business goals that we're trying to achieve in this piece of design work? What are the user goals, and what, where do we, where do we come, come up with those? And then what's the logic behind the design? And the intent here was to give the entire team a framework from which to operate safely when they were getting critique on their work. Um, so that was the high-level view. These are, the, these are the, the kind of gurus who we built our framework um, from. So Adam and Aaron um, wrote the book Discussing Design. Um, and I mentioned Jason Friedman and his um, 30, 60, 90 framework as well. Again, I can get, um, give you some links later on. I told you I'd talk about unicorns. Um, so I'm using unicorns here because I've got some images that I want to use, but I could just have easily said, yeah, I could have just as easily said design genius, lone wolf designer. Um, you know, the, the, the point here is, if you think back to the way that we were operating originally, we had some people who were the owners of their domain. They were the specialists. They knew everything. They had all the decision rights. And as the team grew, they lost, they lost a little bit of that control. Um, so what we needed to do was kind of move them from this kind of super-powered unicorn who was the, the, the centre of all decision-making process. More to this, um, this model here. And again, I'd, the Voltron thing. How many people know Voltron? Is it, is it enough for me to... Yeah. Um, so again, this is Peter Merholt's slide. I've stolen this one completely. And the reason I've stolen it is, A, because I loved Voltron when I was a kid. And B, because it really resonates well with me. So this, this, this kind of concept that if you've got a team of five, five unicorns, that they're never going to, uh, they're never going to deliver a, a, as much benefit and value to the organisation as a team of, of, of Voltron made up of five individual people who are complementing each other so well that they move seamlessly. Um, so for those who don't know Voltron, early 80s, um, Japanese anime style cartoon, five robot lions joined together, their superpowers combined. I guess the more modern version might be Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, I guess. Um, I've also had someone suggest maybe I could use Captain Planet instead, but I'm sticking with Voltron for now. Um, so, yeah, so this, this, this point that as you get your team working seamlessly, as you hire, as you um, get people together with complementary skill sets, that they're going to outperform um, a team of, of individuals all working in different directions. Now, the problem with... Oh, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> the, the, the problem with going through this process, of course, is your unicorns start to feel shackled. Suddenly you're saying, instead of making every decision by yourself, which you've been doing, and you've been doing really well, your, your part of the product actually needs to complement another part of the product, and you need to move beyond what you were doing in the past and learn a new way of, of working. And the unfortunate reaction <laughs> from unicorn... See, I, this is why I went with the unicorn analogy. 
um, the unfortunate reaction is that unicorns start to kind of spew out. You know, the criticism rises. You know, this person doesn't know and they don't know. I've got all the knowledge. And, and so, again, you need to give um, structure and framework to these unicorns, lone wolves, design geniuses, so that they understand how to, kind of, how to foster this um, psychological safe workplace. Um, these, um, Mike Juice, who does all these um, images, uh, he's got some amazing stuff if you want to go and just troll through unicorn images. It's great. Um, and so... I guess, you know, you may say that ideally we end up in this place where all of our unicorns kind of form together to create one big Voltronicorn, but, um, <laughs> but I guess that's, 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 that may be a pipe dream. You know, some of your unicorns are going to adapt, some of them are not. Um, it's part of the process, and, and, and as you kind of grow, you're going to need to decide who are the best skilled people and, and how are they going to work with your organisation going forward. Um, so I've just talked about that place that the unicorns get to, that place that uh, all of the designers get to, where we're now saying, well, we, 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 um, we value the team, and we value the team, we value that diversity in thinking, we think we're going to get better outcomes as a result. It's kind of deflating in some ways. So we needed to work out a way to allow um, designers, again, to re-establish their sense of mastery and their, their sense of purpose. Um, so one of the ways we did this, again, we, we just established a ritual, um, which is our UX dojos. Um, so our UX dojos are, uh, a, a, again, a, a monthly ritual where we get together as a team. One person in the team volunteers to run the dojo. They are the master. And they're going to present, and they're going to present on the, the, the um, particular skill that they've got mastery of. So um, here's Mark. Um, Mark's particularly passionate about coding as a design tool, but he's also a little bit ambivalent about whether everyone should code. Um, this is, this is Aoife. Aoife ran a design dojo for us a couple of weeks ago on uh, the topic of unconscious bias in design and how we can um, test our design work to make sure that we're not building our own unconscious biases into design. Um, this was a, a, um, a dojo we ran on how to run a heuristic evaluation. So our user researcher, Mimi, um, sat the team down and spoke them through Jacob Nielsen's heuristics and how you may apply them to, um, to uh, evaluating design. Um, and this was a sketching session that was run by Scotty Lacey. So Scotty's particularly passionate about the role of sketching within UX. So he was, again, teaching us you know, some quick um, uh, hints and tips around how we could incorporate sketching um, more into our day-to-day -day work. The point I'm making here is that each of these um, people have the opportunity to stand in front of the team and say, I am still a master, even though we're working so seamlessly together that you can't even tell whose work is whose anymore. I still have a sense of um, purpose and self, and I get the opportunity to, to, to re-establish that. It also has a reverse effect in, in two ways. One is um, the rest of the team starts to uh, understand who are the masters of particular crafts, so they can go to them and get feedback on those particular components. Um, but it also acts as a learning development opportunity, too. This is where it gets a little bit tough, of course. Um, so we've just... Uh, we've, starting to create all these new rituals and processes and things, but the, all the designers in my team have day jobs as well, and they need to be out doing all that sort of stuff. So the rituals and things you put in place, this is one of the mistakes we made in the early days. Some of the rituals we had in place were not scalable as we grew the size of the team. So we've, need to work, we've needed to um, keep a careful eye on these and make sure that they're not sucking up too much time. And it kind of comes back to this again, making sure that our team doesn't grow too fast. And as it does grow, making sure that we're keeping a close eye on all of the things that we've got in place and making sure that they still apply to, uh, to all of the new designers. So I've only spoken so far about inwards-looking safety. I've spoken about the design team and how we created that sense of psychological safety within the confines of the design team itself. 
the reality is that we've got other stakeholders involved in the conversations as well. So I'm just as likely to have the managing director drop by and ask me why the icons disappeared off the homepage as I am to have designers asking the same questions of each other. So the next part of the, the process for us um, and the part that we've kind of got ourselves to over the last little while is educating the rest of the organisation about this place that we're getting the team to and how they can embrace the similar types of frameworks. Um, now the point being that if we as a design team are just standing in the middle of a hallway hugging each other, but the rest of the organisation has no idea what the hell is going on, then we're, not, we're actually only creating one little psychological safe zone. So we've ended up um, uh, taking that, the same frameworks that we had in place around design critique and starting to push them back outwards through our senior management teams, our engineering teams, um, and our different project teams so that they again are asking the same question. So what we're trying to get into a place um, is when we're presenting any work to anyone, that the person who's receiving the work is saying, how complete is this? Is it 30, 60, 90? That's the first step. We're kind of getting close to that. The next part is making sure that they still ask around the business goals and the user goals. We're getting close to that. Um, but we've still got a little bit of work to go. We're getting close, though. Um, so takeaway from today, um, this is the one thing I'd kind of urge um, everyone to, to look at. It's great to, to start to look at influencing outwards, to look at how you can actually change the organisational culture, how you can start to get design ahead, how you can get a seat at the table. But while you're doing that, you also need to make sure you're focusing inwards and looking after your team as well. That's that it. looks like a question slide, doesn't it? I think so. It doesn't say questions. Thanks, Cam. That was really good. I have a question. Like, what if you have a team member who really doesn't like hugging other people on the team because that seems really weird? It's like, you know, I, I overheard that this can happen. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> so we, we, were just, we, we were having this conversation last night, to be honest. It's, uh, it can be really tough if you're a touchy-feely person in today's age. Like, yeah. If you're not a touchy-feely person. Well, both. Both. Um, so, of course, Scotty's a hugger. Um, so Scotty is the one hugging in all the photos, which is, which is great. Not everyone in the team is a real hugger. We're talking about virtual hugs. Yeah. That's a good point. Right. Questions apart from me being an, an, an hugger. Like, I looked at that and I just went, Ugh. Really? Not oh, at work. <laughs> I, love, I love my team. I just don't hug them. I'll go Amir then. Um. Thanks, mate. Um, so, challenges in the next two years. Yeah, yeah, the same ones we talked about last night over beer, yeah? <laughs> um, so we were talking about that, that outward stuff. So one of the dangers, of course, I just spoke about the dangers of focusing outwards and not focusing enough inwards. The dangers of focusing too much inwards is sometimes you neglect some of the outwards. Um, so the, the, the conversations around continuing to educate the rest of the organisation, some of the stuff that Alistair covered before around changing the, 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 the organisational culture and its um, a viewpoint around design, there's still a lot of that to go. And, of course, I talked about growing the team fast. I'm just focusing on my team. The rest of the organisation has grown just as fast. So new people coming in, new people coming in from large corporates, different cultures, different, you know, very, very different styles of working. How do we continue to get a hold of all of these amazingly intelligent people and tie back into the same philosophies that we're trying to expose? Interested in the, the sort of the thinking around the psychological safety in a team. And how do, you, how do you be respectful when things aren't quite working out yeah. in, that, in that zone about feedback or between two people in particular where the feedback should be between them? Yeah. Um, so, again, the, the, the five questions that I kind of was speaking about, facilitating those five questions and making sure that the, the feedback that's occurring is based on those. 
Um, so what we've done in the past is make sure that we, when we're seeing the conversations kind of drift off into opinion, taste, those sort of things, and we talk about um, fingerspits, anyone speak German? Fingerspits and gefühl, Fing, like um, uh, fingertip taste. Um, so fingertip taste, you know, is being is, is is something that's kind of acquired through um, design and experience. Everybody has a different um, taste. So, you know, you like stouts. I like ales. I don't actually like ale, but you know. Um, <laughs> But, you know, but, but when, the, when the critique starts to drift into the realms of taste, we try to bring it back. How's it going to say, solve the business goals? How's it going to solve those user goals? What's the design logic here? And trying to bring it back to that framework tends to bring people back and re- help them realise that they may be being a little bit um, over-exuberant. Hi. Um, you're talking about hiring the right people, and I really like what you said about putting culture sometimes on top of craft um, just interest, interested to know what happens, what, 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 what do you do when you see that's not working? The person you hired is not exactly uh, part of the culture. Uh, do you give them chances? Yep. Do you, yep. um, when, when it's time to let it go? Yeah, so I'm a pretty fucking good hire, hirer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it does, every now and then it does happen. And I think it, most of it's about expectation setting. So, the expectation, <laughs> the expectation is that, that, um, that, that people understand the, the ethos of what we're doing. So we're very upfront as we're hiring people around the type of culture that we want. We're, set, we're setting those expectations there. And that's not, that's not a negative connotation. We're, we're wanting people to embrace those. So that's, that's who we are and that's what we want. Um, so where it does start to go off, off, um, off rails a little bit, we just have that conversation. You know, when, we were, when we were hiring, as we were going through the process, this is the, the style that we were talking about. These are, the, these are the, um, the areas we'd like you to kind of work on to make sure that we get the entire team back to that style. And generally, because we've had that conversation during the hiring process, people kind of, they, they, they recognise and they realise straight away and they understand the, the broader team kind of aspects as well. All right, thank you very much. Um, yes, do that bit. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from Managing Design 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.